So let me offer a word of prayer, and then we'll dig into God's word. Father, we do praise you that we get to study your word and to hear it this way. We pray that you would use this medium and all the many thousands upon thousands of churches that are streaming their services to see your word fill the earth just as you promised in the prophets. Let your word go forth with great boldness and power and let many who otherwise would never have heard your word hear the gospel and believe. Be helped in this time of pandemic. Um, be healed, not just bodily, but Lord, to be healed spiritually through the gospel of Christ. Thank you for allowing us this technology and allowing us to meet this way. Uh, blessed the Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So we know that God is in control of history and in control of the coronavirus. We also know that God is good and does all things well. Because we believe those things is a natural question we should ask in this period. What is God up to? What's his purpose in allowing the spread of a virus that puts us all this morning uh, into something called social distancing? Now, a lot of folks are uh, already stir-crazy. They're frustrated with just one week of social distancing and, and staying at home. They're thinking about all the things that they could have been doing, the things that they can't now do. Uh, they're feeling like this is a great imposition on their lives, and on one level, they're absolutely right. This whole period is an interruption. It's shutting things down. Things that would ordinarily happen are no longer happening. We've got church family that would have been going to work. Now they've been laid off. We've got church family who are college students who would have been going to classes, but now they're back home, maybe doing distance learning. Got high school students and middle school students who would have been shuffling off to school and being with their friends and bidding their school programs, but now they're at home and they too are being homeschooled or, or distance learning. You got little children in the church family who would have been in childcare programs, but now their parents are at home juggling both work from home, if they're blessed enough to still be working, and also caring for their children full time. This is not the routine we were in just three weeks ago. But what if that is God's point? What if one of the things God wants to do is to disrupt our everyday lives because we haven't been living our everyday lives the way he wants us to? What if God has sent us all to our rooms for a time out so we can get our lives back on track? When we do this with our kids, we send them to their room and say, think about what you've done. And then sort of come back when you're ready to, to live right. Maybe that's what God is doing with us here. And these are one of the things I've been thinking about personally as I've been uh, enjoying this period. And it's this, that, that far too many people are trying to live lives that are essentially disembodied. What do I mean by that? Well, we're trying to live lives as if we can be everywhere all the time. We view our bodies as limits or even as threats. And, and we try to escape the limitations of the body. We run away from real places and real people and real relationships uh, so that we can have a kind of virtual omnipresence. For many people, that's what social media is about. They're quietly tempted 
to live their lives online where they have the illusion of being everywhere all the time, doing everything, missing nothing, free from their bodies. And when we use social media and virtual technologies to remove the physical and to escape the local, uh, we do three things. Number one, we distort our view of our bodies. We distort our view of community. And we distort our view of what it means to be human. So one of the things that this period could be about is the recovery of an embodied humanity and an embodied community. Well, let me put my pastoral burden this way and the, the teaching of this burden in this way in the form of a question. Have you and I reached a point where we embrace simply being in our body without comment on our body, without complaint about our body, without attempting to change our body? To what extent do we receive the embodied life a slower routine, a more local expression as a gift from God and as according to God's design. We have in this historical moment a chance to do that, a chance to go to our rooms, think about ourselves, what we've been doing, and come out of our rooms perhaps with a life closer to what God intended, more fully embodied and in that way more fully human. What I want to do over the next couple of Sundays is address this theology of the body, which will get us into a theology of place, uh, which will get us into a theology of humanity, uh, and hopefully help us to emerge on the other side of this pandemic, whenever that is, by God's grace, uh, actually better calibrated to God's word, living in a way that is more fully human. To do that, I want to start with a theology of body. I want to make six observations about the body from Genesis 1 and 2. Six observations about the body. And then I want to give us three disciplines for enjoying the body. Three disciplines for enjoying the body. Let's start with the observations. Let's start with the first observation, which comes from Genesis chapter 2, verses 4 to 7. Look with me there in the Bible. It says, These are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created. In the day the Lord God made the heaven, made the earth, excuse me, and the heavens, when no bush of the field was yet in the land, and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up. For the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land, and there was no man to work the ground. And a mist was going up from the land and was watering the whole face of the ground. Verse 7. Then the Lord God formed a man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. So this is the account of God's creation of Adam. Uh, and, and in it, we notice six things about the body. Number one, the body is a gift from God. Now, a gift is something that you and I receive that we did not own before, that we did not earn in some way, and that we don't really deserve. A gift is not a trade or a wage. It's something offered to us without strings. Your body and my body is a gift from God. We, we don't have bodies because of evolution. 
We don't have bodies merely because our parents had bodies and passed it on to us. We, we have bodies because God designed us to have physical form. Our physical flesh and blood frame was the Father's gift to us. Something we did not have before, something we did not earn, and something we did not deserve. He scooped up dust from the earth and he molded it into embodied beings. And before we come to the end of verse 7, where the writer says there, we became a living creature. God breathed the breath of God into our nostrils. We became a living creatures. Before we get to that, it says God made us physical bodies. Your body and my body are gifts from God. And we enjoy these gifts when we learn to live happily inside them. When's the last time you thought of your body as a gift from God? Have you ever thought of your body as a gift from God? Now part of what we'll get into next week is this issue of how since the fall into sin, our, all of our relationships with our bodies are distorted. So I realize in asking that question, when have you thought about your body as a gift from God, your mind may go immediately to, I feel like I'm overweight, or I don't like my nose, or why didn't I, you know, why am I this short or this tall or whatever. Those are all echoes of the fall. Those are not echoes of Eden. Because in Eden, Adam and Eve were not disparaging or ashamed of their bodies, not before the fall. And they recognized that their bodies were a gift from God. If we're going to inhabit our bodies well, we've got to recognize that too. First observation, our bodies are a gift from God. Second observation is this, our bodies are necessary. They're necessary. To say that the body is necessary means that we cannot survive without our bodies. God made our physical form uh, an integral part of who we are and what it means to be human. Humanity is more than body, but not less than body. Think about it. There are no humans without bodies. Our bodies are our first homes. Before we live anywhere else, we live in these forms that God has given us. Even when we grow up and we find other homes, maybe we find our first apartment or we buy a house or maybe we live in a Winnebago. We grow up and we find other homes. We never leave this first home. We're always inhabiting this dwelling or use the language of the Bible, this tent that God has given us as a home. In fact, our bodies are so necessary that when our bodies die, we die. Your body is necessary from the moment of conception all the way through, as we'll see in a moment, all the way through to eternity. Your body and my body never stops being necessary, and we never stop being embodied beings. This is why trying to live a disembodied life is so contrary to God's good design for us. A third observation. The body is good. All of God's gifts are good. That's true of our human frame as well. Just after God finished his six days of creation in Genesis chapter 1, verse 28, or verse 31, excuse me, uh, the Bible says there, And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. D don't miss that. God looked at the entire creation, including humanity's mortal frame and said 
the body and that embodied life. It's not okay. It's not average. It's very good. Uh, the word good there in Hebrew means good in the, in the widest possible sense. Uh, so this word good here, again, it's not, it's not just okay. This word good means beautiful, best, bountiful, cheerful, and pleasant. It means pure, clean. So calling the body very good means that our bodies are very pleasant and beautiful and joy-giving to God. It ought to be to us, too. It means our bodies are blessed. In fact, that's the word that's used in Genesis 1.28. He made Adam and Eve and he blessed them. You ever thought of your body that way? As a gift from God, as necessary, and very good. You are a very good thing. Your body and your life in your body is very pleasant, very beautiful, very cheerful. It's meant to be by God's design. Number four, the body limits us blessedly. The fact that God gave us bodies means also that God gave us limits. But limit here is not a bad word. Uh, we live in a culture that rejects limits. We, we don't want anybody to tell us where we can go, where we can't go, what we can or can't do, uh, any of that. So we, we have this sort of sinful, instinctive rebellion against limitation. But when God made humanity and gave us a, a, a mortal form, uh, the Bible says in Genesis 1.28, he looked at it and he, he blessed us. And in Genesis 1.31, he said it's very good. So this limitation reminds us that we are finite creatures, not infinite. And that's for our good. That's for our blessing. And in that way, then, the, the limitations of the body are are both good and for our good. Put it to you this way. To be a fully human person, then, is to embrace and respect the good boundaries, the good limitations of our good bodies. So, again, think about the culture we live in and its tendency toward disembodiment. We live with the illusion that we can be everywhere and do everything. We rebel all the time against our body's indication of limitation. Think about fatigue and the refusal to rest when we could rest. That's a rebelling against the limitations that our body imposes on us. Or again, think about the ways in which we overwork. God has created us in these bodies and given these bodies a rhythm so that we work and then we sleep and we're meant to take the seventh day off, but we don't. We work long hours without really protesting, without seeking a more humane boundary on our work lives. Think about the today's busy family. Most families, um, both parents have to work and and. During work sometimes, the kids have programs at, at school, so you take time off from work to go to the school play, or you pick kids up after school and after their after school program, and you cart them around to their other extracurricular activities, ballet, basketball, whatever the case may be. And, and while you're sitting there, you are watching them, but you're answering emails and texting and checking your Twitter feed. What is all of that? All that activity, 
all of that trying to be somewhere else other than where we are. It's pushing off the limits of being embodied. I love the way Pastor Zach Eswine puts this in his book, Sensing Jesus, which I highly recommend. He says, forgetting our place as only human, we grasp for incommunicable attributes and try to make them our own as we live and minister with others. Now, incommunicable attributes, just a big fancy word. Incommunicable means God doesn't share those characteristics with us. Those things only belong to God. So think of all the omnis omnipresent, omnipotent, omniscient. Those are incommunicable attributes of God. We, we don't share in that with God because we are finite creatures. But when we push off the limits, we are grasping for those incommunicable attributes, trying to be everywhere all at once, trying to be um, doing things all the time, trying to know it all. We're becoming inhuman, trying to be superhuman, our bodies give us blessed limitations, but our bodies are not prisons. We, we are not meant to take on these characteristics that only belong to God. Our bodies say to us, this far and no farther. Our bodies become our first interaction with God's law. Because there God is limiting us, setting boundaries for us, like the good, perfect parent that he is. And so the question becomes, are we the kind of people who, believing in the goodness of the body, embrace the limitations of the body? Or are we the kind of people who are trying to do too much, on too little sleep, all over the place? The life God blesses is a life that embraces its limits. Which brings us to a fifth thing. The body puts us in a place Blessedly. When God creates Adam and Eve, he places them in the garden. Look at Genesis chapter 2, verse 8. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden, in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed. Think about that for a moment. The entire earth was available to the Lord. He could have set things up such that Adam and Eve wandered around the whole earth, just, just sort of roaming. But, you know, it's, it's actually after the fall that roaming outside the garden is part of the judgment, not the blessing of God. So the blessing of God is to be in our bodies and to be in a place, inhabiting that, inhabiting that place fully present. You might say God not only uh, prepared a garden, but he also prepared in place the gardener. And to be in a body is to in a place. We, we can't be healthy Christians without a good theology of place. And the reason most evangelical Christians don't have a good theology of place is because we actually have devalued the body. Not necessarily intentionally, but we haven't thought enough about what it means to be embodied beings. It's only in place with others that community happens. And community requires embodiment and locality. And so we've got this big break forced upon us by a loving God. And the question becomes, are we taking the opportunity to be present in our place, enjoying what God has for us there? That's why he's been given a body, is to enjoy place and what God puts there for us. But let me bring us to a, a sixth and final thing. I hope you give me a minute to unpack this. 
because I think it's vital. The body is central to the gospel. The body is central to the gospel. Think of how important the body is to everything that the Lord Jesus Christ does. Start with the incarnation. The human body is so good that God chose one for himself. That's what happens in the incarnation. The word became flesh and dwelt among us, John tells us. Jesus was not a disembodied spirit. He was and is an embodied God. So Colossians chapter 2 verse 9 says that for in him the whole fullness of deity dwells how? Bodily. The incarnation is so important in biblical Christianity that the apostles said that this is how you know whether someone is of the Antichrist or someone is truly a believer. 1 John chapter 4, verses 2 and 3, by this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come, how? In the flesh, is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. The body is so good that Jesus lived in one and made belief in his incarnation central to what it means to be a Christian. But that's true not just in the incarnation. Think about how central the body is in the crucifixion. Colossians 1 verses 21 and 22 says, And you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death. How did he do it? He reconciled in his body of flesh by his death. In order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Or here's how Peter puts it in 1 Peter 2, verse 24. He himself bore our sins. How? In his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. Without the human body, without Christ having a body, there can be no cross. Without the cross, there can be no atonement. Without atonement, there can be no salvation. But but this is true, the centrality of the body, also in the resurrection. The tomb was empty. There's no body in it. The disciples later saw and touched Christ's resurrected body. Remember Thomas in John 20, 27, the Lord saying, put your hands in my wounds. They ate with him in Luke 24, 42. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 44, the body is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. So even in the resurrection, we will have bodies. They won't be these fallen bodies that that can die or get disease or have to distance themselves to avoid the coronavirus. They will be glorified bodies, resurrected bodies, imperishable bodies that cannot die, but they will be bodies. So from all of time and all of eternity, we will be embodied people. We never stop having bodies precisely because our bodies are good by God's design. So good, in fact, that Jesus never stops being human. He even takes our body with him into heaven right now and forever. 
1 Timothy 2, verse 5, there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. Think about it. How does Christ have a body? But Christ lives in our body by his spirit. 1 Corinthians 3, 16, 1 Corinthians 6, around verse 13, twice in that letter, Paul says, Do you not know that you, your bodies, are the temple of the Holy Spirit in whom God lives? staggering. God lives in our bodies. Right now, where you sit, if you're a Christian, your body is a temple to God. So this idea that the body and the physical world is evil or somehow secondary and the spiritual world is what matters is not a biblical idea at all. And this idea then that if we're alone and in some space and place where, uh, you know, the, the real action is out there somewhere else, that's not true either. God is with you. God is in you, in your body. And you're meant to inhabit your body with God. And you're meant to sort of in that place, in your body and in the place that it's in, enjoy all that God has for us. The whole sort of swoop of the gospel is about bringing us to a fuller embodiment, a a truer humanity. Here's how one writer puts it. This is the paradox of the body. The body is a temple, but the temple is in ruins. The incarnation of Jesus affirms the body's original goodness. The death of Jesus reminds us of its need of redemption. And the resurrection of Jesus gives us hope for the body's restoration. So when we think about the human body, we're not thinking about something that is unspiritual or anti-gospel. The body is central to the gospel. The gospel guarantees we will forever be embodied, but embodied perfectly in glory. We get to enjoy that now sitting in our homes, socially distant, with the world and all of its busyness turned off or turned down. We shouldn't be lamenting to be somewhere else, or be somebody else, doing something else. We should really be sort of drawing ourselves into our bodies, into our place, with our God, for the fulfillment that comes from that design. So let me give us... Three disciplines, then, really quickly, for enjoying our bodies. Three disciplines for enjoying our bodies. We, we are not really meant to be using our bodies, but enjoying our bodies. And I'm suggesting that this new period of awareness of our bodies because of the social distancing can give us positively an opportunity for a new practice of enjoying our bodies. Three things. Number one. Practice praise. Practice praise because of your body. Praise God because of your body. I get that from Psalm 139. Psalm 139, verses 13 to 16. This is what the psalmist says. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written 
every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. It's a remarkable song. Notice, notice what he says in verse 13, referring to God. You formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. So when we're talking about the creation of the body as a gift from God, we're not merely talking about Adam and Eve in the garden, but every human being knit together in their mother's womb by an infinite, wise, and good God. And so notice verse 14, what he says there. As a consequence, I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Now, I know that that four statement, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made, that's a stumbling block for some people. And so next week, we're going to talk about um, the disordered relationships we have with our bodies because we need, to, we need to rethink those things so that we can conclude, just like the psalmist, I am fearfully and wonderfully made, and so that's fuel for praise to God. Psalmist is simply thinking about the wonder of his body, and that thought leads him in awe to praise and magnify God. That's a pattern for us. Think deeply about your body as God has designed it, then let your thoughts return to God in praise. Second discipline. Let us practice pleasure with our bodies. 1 Timothy 6, verse 16 says, God richly provides us with everything to enjoy. God wants us to enjoy life. God wants us to get the goodness out of the things that he has made to experience those things. That's true even in the age of pandemics and disease and wheelchairs and birth defects and other things caused by a world that's fallen. Our, our bodies are in many ways broken, but they are nevertheless given to us so that we can enjoy God's beauty and the beauty of God's creation. So you and I, we're meant to live in our bodies in a way that brings us into contact with pleasure, joy, delight. This period of slowing down, creating distance, changing routines, can be a period of enjoying ourselves. Think of how many things we can enjoy because we are embodied beings. The warmth of the sun on our skin on a summer day. But when it gets too hot, cannonballing into the pool and the cool water bringing us refreshment. The comfort of a hug from a best friend in a time of need. The surge of adrenaline while exercising or competing in some sport. Working with our hands and the sense of accomplishment that comes from completing a, a task. But think about that flutter and that tingle that comes from looking into the eyes of a romantic other. Even what I'm doing right now, speaking, and what we were doing a moment ago, singing. Speaking and singing both require bodily vocal cords. We would not be speaking creatures and we would not be singing creatures without the bodies that God has made for us. Or think about that pleasant satisfaction you get when you eat that final bite, that morsel of some delicious dish. Our life is an embodied life. We 
embodied life is a good life, and it allows us to experience firsthand the, the pleasures of God's creation. Have we been doing that? Have we been slowing down to smell the proverbial roses? Have we been reclining to enjoy a sunset? Have we been basking in the beauty of art, music, poetry? Have we been playing with our children as a bodily expression and experience of the good life? Have we been taking naps? The body is a legitimate means to experience the legitimate pleasures that God has filled the world with. We should practice pleasure. Number three, finally, we should practice place. We should practice place in our bodies. We have an opportunity to be fully present in a place and to enjoy what we find there. Not as a fallback plan, not as a plan B, but as an experience of life as God intended. So we should put away social media, put away virtual technologies, put away everything that entices us to disembodiment and sort of come back inside of ourselves. You've probably seen that scene on the Avengers where the Hulk goes to um, get the Infinity Stone from, what's the bald lady's name? Uh, You know who I'm talking about. And he's about to sort of rush on her and try and take the stone, and she knocks him out of his body. His soul kind of is out of his body. He's disembodied. And they have this conversation until she brings him back into the body. Well, something like that needs to happen for us. We need to get away from all those technologies that have knocked us out of our bodies and tempted us to uh, incommunicable attributes. And we need to sort of get gathered again into our bodies and into real places. And, and what might we find in the real places that we inhabit right now? Well, we may find quiet. We may find noisy children. We may find unusual workspaces, makeshift workspaces. We may find lots of time. We may find hobbies or we may bump into spouses who are all of a sudden now sharing our spaces. We we get, though, to notice our place and what's in them, what's needed, what's joyful, what's sad, what's broken, what's life-giving. And in, in noticing our places, we gain rootedness. Zach Eswine, to quote him again, says, Standing long in one place allows the roots to deepen. How many of us feel unsettled? How many of us feel anxious about where we're going to be? How many of us have thought that maybe some of the unsettledness is we're not rooted? And we're not rooted because we don't have a good theology of place. And we don't have a good theology of place because we're going to have a good theology of the body. We so often imagine being somewhere else, doing something else with somebody else, that we grow worried and anxious, and we lack stamina and we lack joy. Without roots in a place, we wither. We, we die in a certain sense. Without attentiveness to a place, we, we think our joy is somewhere else. But all the joy we can ever have is only ever in the place that we're at. To quote S1 again. So therefore, I must not imagine where I will be without standing where I am. Likewise, I must not imagine where I will be 
as though my future moments will require no connection to a place and a people. Place is advance. Imagination disconnected from place leaks fruitless urgency into our habits. He's saying, imagining being someplace else without imagining a connection to people in place, whether now or then, creates fruitless urgency. Another word for worry, anxiety. What's the cure? Be where you are. Live in relationship to people and place in a way that settles you down. That's what we must practice in this weird period. We must embrace these bodies that we inhabit and the places that our bodies inhabit with the people that our bodies inhabit them with. We must root ourselves and we must enjoy it. For God has designed that for our blessing. It's good it's necessary. It's gospel living. Let's pray again. Father, in good, indeed, we thank you for our bodies. And we pray that you would teach us to praise you as we contemplate embodied life. Teach us, O oh Lord, to practice pleasure, pleasure-seeking, godly pleasure as we live in these bodies. And uh, teach us, O oh Lord, to embrace place, to develop a good theology of place that we might not miss what's right here with us that you have designed for our joy. Thank you for your word. Speak to us and help us to live confidently and rootedly in these uncertain times, we pray, because our hope is in you. In Jesus' name, amen.